Now let's turn to the Word of God. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at two verses today, 10 and 11. And um, the title of this message is, God is Paying Attention. And we're going to be looking at um, this theme in the light of the greater theme of Scripture here of this letter, which is, and that's what our theme has been all along for the past year, um, Aliens in Digital Babylon. Now, some of you may be asking, why that title? Well, if, if you will recall, the first verses were called aliens or strangers uh, or sojourners, people who are passing through. Babylon, because that's another name for the world. Well, digital, I guess you understand what that means. That's clear. We live in a world of technology. So we are strangers, sojourners, pilgrims in a digital world. So aliens in a in digital Babylon. And uh, we've been looking at the different aspects of what it means to be an alien, a sojourner, a Christian, therefore, in this world. And so today, Peter's focus is on gifts. So let's look at these two verses, shall we? Verses 10 and 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And Father, it is with gratitude that we come before you as your people, your redeemed. Yes, we are aliens in this world, but not aliens to you. We're not strangers to you. You have chosen us to be your people. You've made us your very own. We are undeserving of such grace. And we on this earth, Lord, are mindful of this very fact that while we are here, we are representing you. We need grace for that. We cannot do it in our own strength. There is no way we can serve you. There is no way we can please you on our own. So we come to you once again, asking for grace and thanking you for this unique privilege of being your people at a time like this. Speak to us today as only you can and stamp your word in every heart. And this I pray in the wonderful and glorious name of our Lord. Amen. So we've been in this letter for the past year, and that's remarkable. God has used this letter to minister to us and to encourage us throughout this COVID-19 season. Now, we've seen how the believers that this letter is addressed to in Asia Minor, part of the Roman Empire, were suffering persecution, were being mistreated, and um, were just not welcomed by either the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, the Gentiles who were idol worshippers, or the Roman Empire. So they had enemies on all fronts, if you would. And yet they were rejoicing. If you read, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, and we went through that um, months ago, in this you greatly rejoice, he says to these believers. 
even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed. Notice the word distressed. These were not minor trials or minor hardships. These were severe, intense trials. So they were rejoicing in the midst of trials. They were singing in the furnace. Now, you will recall the three friends of Daniel were in the furnace, but we don't see them singing. Singing and suffering in the Old Testament are incompatible, but not in the New. In the New, God's people sing while suffering. They praise while in prison. They raise their voices while being oppressed. That's the difference. You read the stories of the martyrs and you will see that while they were burning at the stake, they were praising God. They were thanking him. While being devoured by lions, these Christians were singing. None of them were panicking. None of them were screaming. They're none of that. I've often read those stories and I said, Lord, what would I do? Well, what you and I would do is the same because God gives us grace according to the circumstance. He doesn't need to give us more grace than what we need. Right now, we have the grace we need. If we live sheltered lives, what grace do we need? But if we live exposed lives, if we live dangerous lives for Christ's sake, that's when grace kicks in. Thankfully, God gives us grace for COVID-19 season so that we can serve him at a time like this. Trials never quell the joy that bubbles up in the heart of a believer. Never. Because it is supernaturally fueled. Hence the reason why believers can continue to be hospitable, do acts of kindness, rejoice through in trials. Even while suffering and enduring mistreatments, these Christians were doing things that was uncommon, was unthinkable, serving each other. Why would you want to do that? Or be hospitable or be kind one to another. Be kind to those who mistreat you. That just makes no sense. But that's what they were doing. And that's what God's people always have done throughout the ages. So we saw last week how the believers were, were urged to be hospitable one to another. And we saw that they were not only hospitable one to another, but they were hospitable to people who were strangers, people who didn't, they didn't know. And that's how the grace of the Lord was being exposed and how it sh- was shared. And the Christianity sweeped over the uh, continent, over the empire, like a tidal wave, because Christians were being gracious and kind. And the message of the gospel was just enchanting. And people were overcome by this. Now we're going to be looking at how rich the church is, very rich. We're going to be seeing how God's people today are far richer than God's people under the old covenant. Now, God's people, Israel, were hospitable, were called to be hospitable. And we see that many times in reading the Old Testament. We see Abraham receiving visitors and we see Lot receiving visitors. And this was a common practice. Hospitality was sacred in the middle in the ancient Middle East. But um, when it came to gifts, we don't see that present in the uh, Old Testament people. Gifts were not present as they are present today. In fact, if you were to go through the entire Old Testament, you will struggle to find the expression that Peter uses here in the passage we just read, the one another. In the New Testament, that expression occurs 100 times. In the Old, 
it occurs once, only once. And I like to read that one in the Old Testament because it is powerful. In Malachi chapter 3, verses 16 to 18, we read these words. This is the last book of the Old Testament. And, and it closes with this particular image that will um, touch your heart as we read it together. Malachi 3.16 says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And the Lord listened attentively and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and esteem his name. And they will be mine, says the Lord of armies, on the day that I prepare my own possession. I will have compassion for them just as a man has compassion for his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. Now, there are other passages uh, where the concept of doing something for someone else is implied in the Old Testament. But the actual expression of one to another is only mentioned this time in the book of Malachi. Now, there are many, by the way, many times when God's people did violent, sinful things one to another. And that, of course, is throughout the Old Testament. But the expression in a positive light, such as we read here in the book of Malachi, is mentioned this one time. And it's just interesting that we read how as the, God's people, those who feared the Lord, spoke to one another, God listened. Isn't that beautiful? Um, 100 years from now, when we are in God's presence, COVID-19 will not be remembered. The stock market will not be remembered. The home you had, the clothes you wore, the car you drove, the amount of money in the bank, none of that will be remembered. What will be remembered is this, what we did one for another. For example, times like this, where we gathered around God's word will be remembered. When you encouraged someone, when you called someone, when you served someone, that will be remembered. Notice that it says here that a book of remembrance was written before him. God is paying attention. God is interested in what God's people are doing one to another. As we encourage each other, as we serve one another, as we go out of our way for each other, as we love each other, as we seek to spend time with each other, as we pray one for another. When you are in your private closet and you remember the church and you remember those who do not know the Lord, those are the moments that are recorded. Remember what the angel said to Cornelius? Your prayers and your alms are noted before the Lord, before God. That is what is noted. What you do in your prayer life, what you do for others, for alms means helping those in need, is remembered before God. So like I said, this expression occurs 100 times. Just loving one another is repeated, I think, 16 times in the New Testament. So why doesn't this expression occur in the Old Testament? 
God's people could not serve each other as we can serve each other because they were not gifted. That's the reason why. They didn't have spiritual gifts. You see, only three offices were anointed, if you would, therefore had special gifts. The office of priest, so the priests served the people, represented the people in prayer, represented them at the temple, and instructed the people. The prophet were God's mouthpiece, urging the people to serve God and to return back to God if when they defected or when they apostate, when they were in apostate state. And you had the king. The king also was anointed to serve the people so that he would rule with righteousness and justice. But God's people were called to obey the law, to make sure that they would uh, carry out the different ritual sacrifices, to be present at the, at the different special holidays, and to instruct their children in the ways of the Lord. That's basically, in a nutshell, what it was. Nowhere do you see them actually serving one another or praying one for another or ministering one to another. That's not it. Today, instead, we have the church as every member being a priest. That's why we read earlier, uh, we went through this in chapter 3, that we are a royal priesthood. That We're therefore both kingly and priests. And we're serving under the high priest, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is seated at the right hand of God. And so we have gifts. And with these gifts, we are now far richer than the Old Testament people. We are richer in, in our covenant. We are richer in our blessings. Ephesians chapter 1, just go through that. We are richer in promises. Uh, just go through the book of Hebrews. A cursory read of that book will show you how far richer we are when compared to the people under the old covenant. That is why Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, but to each one of us, grace was given. Notice each one has been given grace. This is not only saving grace, but also spiritual grace or charisma, which is we have gifts according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives and he gave gifts to people. So one of the proofs that Christ is risen from the dead is the undeniable employment of spiritual gifts uh, that uh, God's people are involved in. We are serving with these spiritual gifts. And these spiritual gifts are, are, are proof that Jesus is alive. The body life of the church is a demonstration that Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, this passage here, Ephesians chapter 4, says what exactly? Well, it says that he led captive the captives or he led captive the captors is a better rendition. In other words, what you have here is a, an image of a king that realizes his people are held captive by a, a foreign power. So he, he raises his army, goes into um, war mode, goes out into battle, invades this foreign land, 
and takes the, the captors who've taken his people as hostage and frees his people. And when he frees them, he takes the spoils and gives them to those who were prisoners, to his people. That's what Jesus did. He came from heaven into this world, defeated the enemy, defeated death, and in doing so, took the gifts that we had lost in the garden, reclaimed them, and gave them to his bride, God's people. That's what it means. And that's proof that Jesus is alive. So let's focus on the gifts. First, Peter tells us that gifts are given to every single believer. It says, as each one has received a special gift. In verse 10, the concept that each believer is gifted is throughout the New Testament. Whether it be Paul or Peter, this is constantly repeated. So the believer realizes he is not like an Old Testament uh, believer. You're not like an Old Testament citizen of Israel. You have grace to serve. There is no such thing as a giftless Christian. Every believer regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit is a new creation and has been given gifts. Wherever the Holy Spirit resides, he brings gifts. Now, to illustrate this truth, we're going to go to a story found in the book of Genesis chapter 24. There we read that Isaac is in his 40s. Isaac is Abraham's son. He is still single. That's quite old in those days to be single. And Abraham calls his servant, Eliezer, and tells him to go to a faraway land and to come back with a bride. What a task. Imagine being given that task. So Eliezer sets out, travels quite a distance, and when he gets to his destination, I'm going to make this short story short. You can read it on your own. He spots this young woman, and through different signs, he realizes that this is the one. Her name is Rebecca. And then he persuades her to come back. And he does this by showing that his um, uh, master, Abraham, and his son, Isaac, are very wealthy. And he lavishes her with gifts, many gifts. And then uh, when she is convinced, she travels back with Eliezer all the way back to Isaac. And there it says that he, Isaac sees her and loves her and she becomes his wife. Now, the name Eliezer is interesting, means God of help. Now, Abraham is a picture of God the Father. And uh, Isaac is a picture of Jesus Christ. He's the son of God. And then, of course, Rebecca is a picture of the church, the bride that is being called for the bridegroom. But who does Eliezer represent? Eliezer, God of help, that's what his name means, represents the Holy Spirit. In the Gospel of John, that's, this is what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him nor know him. 
but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. The helper is with us all the time. The Old Testament people never had this privilege. The Holy Spirit is the God of help. He faithfully and securely brings the bride back, not, not back, brings the bride to the bridegroom, which is Jesus Christ himself. And all along the way, what does the Holy Spirit do? He describes Jesus to us. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself. He constantly speaks of Jesus, our, our bridegroom. He tells us how wonderful he is, how he loves us, how he intercedes for us, how he died for us on the cross, how he rose for us so that we could be seated with him in heavenly places, how we are rich beyond description. The, and, and while he's doing this, he is showering us with, with gifts. That's what he did. That's what he did with Rebecca. That's what Eliezer did. And that's what the Holy Spirit is uh, doing with us. And this is why Peter is saying categorically that each one of us has special gifts. We are the bride of Christ and we've been given special gifts. And Paul reiterates this, reiterates this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In verse 4 to verse 7, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit are for each one. The Holy Spirit cannot reside in a believer as the helper and withhold his gifts. He can't. He is far too generous, and he would do a great disservice to the bridegroom if he would do that. The Holy Spirit's presence in your life enriches you with grace and gifts beyond understanding, and no one is excluded. Secondly, gifts are to be used selflessly. Verse 10 says again, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. The special gifts that we are given are not for the purpose of platforming self. No gift is to draw attention to ourselves. To do so is a corruption of the gift. You and I are called to steward the gift, as Peter says here, not flaunt the gift. Self is always and will be to the very end our mortal enemy when it comes to the use of gifts. Um, for this purpose, Peter stresses that we are to steward or manage carefully the spiritual gifts. In reading the letter to the Corinthians, we discover that this church was unbelievably blessed. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians in Paul's prologue of this letter. 1 Corinthians 1.4, I thank my God always concerning, for, concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. So he's grateful for the grace. And then he explains what he means. 
that in everything you were enriched in him. How? In all speech and all knowledge, just as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. So these are genuine believers. You've been enriched. You have gifts. Notice that he says in verse 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift. The church of Corinth was uniquely blessed in the gifts of the Spirit as you eagerly await the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's unique. This church was wonderfully blessed, but they failed to steward the gifts they had received. So when you read about the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, you will find that they were um, boasting or there was, there was an exaggeration of the usage of the gift of tongues. And so Paul had to come in and bring control, bring some order in the chaos. And um, that is why he writes in 1 Corinthians 14 these words, So you too, since you are eager to possess spiritual gifts, right, strive to excel for the edification of the church. When we steward the gift correctly, we will use it for others, not for ourselves. That's the way a gift is to be employed. When a gift is for ourselves, we want people to notice us. We want people to uh, recognize us and to applaud us. And to and remember, this is in every human being. We all need affirmation, right? Only as we mature in Christ do we need less and less of it. Uh, a young Christian is very, uh, it, it's very normal for a young Christian to want and to need affirmation. We need to give that to younger Christians. But as you, I notice as we grow in Christ, we need less and less of that. We are, um, we are more prone to esteem others. As you grow in Christ, you're more concerned about um, giving recognition to others than seeking it for yourself. So as a young Christian, it's normal to want it and to uh, know that you are doing the right thing, and that's very normal. And as you grow older and older in Christ, you're not concerned about receiving affirmation or recognition or um, accolades of any kind. You're more concerned about giving them to others. That's a sign of maturity. So what is what is Paul saying here? They, these Christians, these Corinthians Christians had gifts, but they were drawing attention to themselves. He says, now look, be concerned about edifying others. That's why the Lord gave you the gifts. You know, to steward the gift correctly means to be concerned with the welfare of others. Self can get the best of us when we exercise spiritual gifts. We must be on guard and especially open to correction. So when a brother comes to us and says, brother, you have this gift, but this is what I notice about you. We should be, we should welcome that. In fact, we should seek it. It would, what it does, it will sharpen the usage of the gifts. We are to constantly be asking ourselves, am I employing my gift for the benefit of the church? Or is it for the purpose of platforming self? Do I need to fill a need in my life? 
Am I using my gift because I need attention? Am I an attention seeker? So all these questions are very important to ask when we exercise our gifts. And so some people, because they doubt themselves, they say, oh, you know what? It's better I don't employ my gifts. It's better I do nothing. And that's not what the Lord is asking of us. He's asking us to use our gifts. And if there is self in the midst, in the middle of, uh, of the exercise of our gift, and there can very well be, let's be open to correction. Let's encourage each other so that that gift can bring a blessing to the church. Because if I withhold my gift, just because I say, well, there's John is, has there's self in the middle here and who knows what's going to happen if I exercise my gift. Well, you're going to be deprived of my gift and I'll be deprived of yours. If you do the same, we need to exercise our gifts. We need to be aware of our self-centeredness. We need to confess it and ask the Lord to give us grace so that we can be a blessing to each other. In Paul's day, there were ministers um, of the gospel that were gifted, but did not steward their gift correctly. And we read uh, of this point when Paul um, rem- makes a remark regarding Timothy, a fellow servant, someone he had trained in the ministry. When he writes to the Philippians, this is what he says about Timothy. Philippians 2, 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. Now notice this next verse. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ, Jesus, but you know of his proven character, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. What is he saying here? Timothy is different from the other pastors because Timothy does not seek after his own interests. You see, pastors are gifted, but in those days, Paul knew all, notice his words. He doesn't say some, not even many, all. So why? They had gifts. Jesus had given them these gifts through the spirit and they were blessed, but Self was in the picture. Paul is attesting to the fact that Timothy was stewarding his gift differently from the rest of the ministers. Others sought their own interests. Others sought to be noticed, recognized. Others sought maybe to be supported financially, whatever it was. They sought their own interests, but not Timothy. He served as a son with a father with no self-interest in the picture. So in our lives, we must be careful. And I'm bringing this up to God and to and amongst each other so that self is not given room. It must die. So that the body of Christ is encouraged and blessed with the exercise of our gift. Third, gifts are distributed sovereignly. They're distributed, distributed sovereignly. Verse 11 says, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So what we see here is Peter dividing the gifts into two categories. Now, there are several lists in Scripture, in the New Testament rather, that uh, where gifts are mentioned. But we're going to only focus on this for lack of time. 
And what he does here, he, serve, he divides it into two categories. Some are word-centered gifts and others are work-centered. Okay, some are done with speech and some are done with acts of service. The spirit is the one who distributes the gifts accordingly. Now let's pause to consider those to whom God gives the speaking gift and those to whom he gives the serving gift. All right. Just because you love to talk doesn't mean you have the speaking gift. Case in point, yours truly. I was in my teenage years and for many years after that, I was a, um, a taciturn introvert. I hated to talk and I hated to be with people. I just love to be myself with myself. Was I love myself, period. And, uh, and of all things, God has given to me the uh, ministry of teaching. Now, when people would tell me you have the ministry of teaching, I said, no, no, I don't. I don't have that. I don't know what I have, but I don't have that. And I, I knew I just don't like to talk and I don't like to be uh, with people. But that's what the Lord did. Many times I, I would read the passage of um, Moses, and I said, I know exactly how Moses felt when he said in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither recently nor in times past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. But the Lord said to him, Who has made the human mouth? Who makes anyone unable to speak or deaf or able to see or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go. And I myself will be with your mouth and instruct you in what you are to say. But Moses said, please, Lord, now send the message by whomever you will. And I've often said that to the Lord. I've often said that for years, even while in the ministry. Though slow of speech, Moses was given a specific mandate by, the, by God. And it concerned speaking. And he didn't want to speak, but God gave him the speaking gift. Gifts are not given according to the ability that we have. They are determined by the Holy Spirit for the benefit of the church. For this reason, we are urged to serve one another with the gift we have been given. Now I'm going to draw your attention to the serving gifts. They too are given for the benefit of the church. So helps, administration, uh, being there for people. Uh, serving gifts are so, it's so vast. I mean, I, I can't even begin to uh, enumerate them. But I'm going to draw your attention to one person who exercised her serving gift. Her name is Dorcas or Tabitha. We find her story in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated means Dorcas. This woman was excelling in acts of kindness and charity, which she did habitually. Now, if you read the story, you'll find when she passes away, orphans, uh, sorry, orphans, widows surrounded her um, cadaver, her corpse, uh, and, and her lifeless corpse, and just weeping, remembering her kindness. And then we read how Peter prayed and raised her back to life. But the fact is, is that they remembered her kindness. This woman did not speak. She wasn't a, 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 someone who taught or spoke, but her kindness, her gifts, 
her generosity, her involvement in the lives of these widows and orphans was remarkable. And how did she do that? By the grace supplied her, by the strength that the Holy Spirit gave her, she was enabled, enabled to bless others. So the gifts we've been given are spirit-driven. They are not to be exercised solely for ourselves ever. In fact, not solely, they not to be exercised at all for ourselves, but solely for the benefit of Christ's body. There are no stars in the church. There are no celebrities in the church. We are all servants. Some of us are given gifts in speech. Others are given gifts in serving, but we serve. There's only one star and one hero, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Recently, we witnessed Christian celebrities, which, by the way, is an oxymoron. The word Christian and celebrity do not belong together that have fallen into Christian sin. And upon close examination, what, we, what you discover about these individuals is that they refused correction. They were not accountable. So they, they did not steward their gifts by making themselves accountable to others. And so their gift uh, was mismanaged, misused. Self was given a lot of room and they tarnished the name of the Lord and brought reproach to the testimony of Christ. That is why we need to be very careful when it comes to exercising our spiritual gifts. Four, gifts are to be used for God's glory and God's glory alone. Now let's read the whole passage that we read right at the beginning. In 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verse 10 and 11. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. No gift is to be used for the purpose of filling a need in oneself. Any Christian who exercises his or her gift for the sole reason of being acknowledged and being center staged or just to feel important or feel part of the team. Even that, which is, you know, sometimes you say, I want you to feel as you're part of the team. That's not the reason why we serve. That could be um, someone who is new in the faith. You know, they, they, we want them to feel that way. But that's not really the reason why we serve. The ultimate reason is far greater than that. I am part of the body of Christ, whether I speak or I don't speak whether I serve or don't serve. I'm still part of the body of Christ. However, I am called as a member of the body of Christ to serve my brother, the one another, 100 times in the New Testament. That is what we can do because of God's grace, because of his spirit that resides within us. 
so that we can bless each other. Um, when we do not have the right perspective with regards to the gifts, we will mismanage, as I said earlier, and we will draw attention to ourselves and we will forget the glory of God. The ultimate reason why these gifts are to be exercised for the benefit of the church is so that God is glorified. That's the reason. Why am I exercising my gift so that I fulfill a need in my life? Well, that's the reason I am shortchanging you and I'm not bringing glory to God. I'm bringing glory and attention to myself, right? What we need is to realize that God is to be glorified in all things. Paul says, in fact, even when you drink a glass of water, drink it to the glory of God. And what does that mean? Make sure that whatever you do, that God is exalted in the process, that God is lifted up, that God's name is, is, is so beautified. It's so um, elevated that people will be drawn to Christ. That's the reason why. So as we serve one another, as we bless one another, as we go out of our way for each other, as we cook meals for each other, as we call each other, send cards to each other, whatever we do one for another, the, the, the world takes notice. And those who are of the elect, are God uses that to draw them to himself. Because if we don't do that, God isn't glorified. We are, uh, please don't misunderstand me. Um, as I said earlier, a, a new Christian needs encouragement and needs affirmation. And sometimes even an older Christian, I'm not saying not. But uh, because we, in fact, we are called to esteem each other, right? To esteem one another, to esteem others better than ourselves. That's what Paul says in his letter to the Philippians. But the more we grow in Christ and the more we realize that we are to really be concerned about God's glory. And I've noticed that in my life, that in my early years, I wasn't as concerned about God's glory. Um, but as I began to grow more and more in my understanding of scripture and, I under, and, and grew in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord, I, was, became, I became more and more concerned with the glory of God. Um, we need to remember this and have this attitude and say, ask the Lord to cultivate in us a desire for his glory so that he would be lifted up in the exercise of the gift so that we do not get frustrated when people don't recognize us or when people misunderstand what we're doing. Because in the exercise of our gifts, people will not appreciate what we're doing. Uh, people, people will uh, perhaps even criticize what we're doing. Or people will not acknowledge what we're doing. You know, uh, there are times that you could be serving in a specific ministry. You give of your life, you spend, you pray for them, and they don't say a word of thanks. I've seen people never receive a word of thanks from students as they were teaching Sunday school. I've seen others giving themselves in different ministries of helps and never receive a word of thanks. But they tirelessly went on, like a Tabitha, like, a, like this woman who helped the widows and the orphans of her day. At the end, then people are moved to tears as they remember what this woman, what this person has done. And they'll remember what you've done. But even if they don't remember, heaven remembers. 
Heaven remembers. Don't forget that. I, I think I've told you about this missionary having served in a faraway land and he was supported by his church and then finally they stopped supporting him. They forgot him and he sends a notice. This was before technology was around. He sends a letter saying, look, I'll be arriving. I'm, I'm, uh, I've served after 30 years. I'm coming back home. And so when he arrives by ship, he um, disembarks. He's on the docks and he's looking for someone that he recognizes, anybody from the church. Nobody's there. No one. No one is there to receive him. No one is there to say, welcome home, brother. How have you been? And he finds a, a bench and he sits on that bench and he just weeps. And he weeps and he weeps and he goes, Lord, what happened? Where are they? How come? I just heard a voice telling him, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. You see, if you go through life serving faithfully, ministering to others, and you find that they don't acknowledge, or worse yet, they criticize. Remember, you're not home yet. That's why as we read at the beginning that a book is being written. And what's going to be, what's going to be remembered are acts of kindness, your giving, your prayers, your service, your faithful life that is lived for the glory of God as you ministered to each other. That's what's going to be remembered. That's what's going to be highlighted. So we need to keep that in mind as we serve and not get frustrated or, um, or, or feel slighted when someone does not acknowledge what we do. Jesus stresses this point that helped me overcome my need to receive accolades or just a recognition. Because in the ministry, sometimes you're serving, you're serving, you're pastoring, you're preaching, you're going out of your way. And, and many times you don't receive the thanks that you're looking for and appreciation. And that's part of self, right? And, and, and I tried to kill that in myself. I did. But it was very hard. But you know what helped me really overcome my need to receive uh, recognition, appreciation, all that? Is when I read this passage found in Luke chapter 17. In verse 7, we read, Now which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him after he comes in from the field, Come, immediately, recline at the table to eat. On the contrary, Will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which were commanded you, say we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. This passage stamped in me the fact that I don't deserve praise. I don't. The Lord deserves the praise. He's the one who did the unthinkable. I'm doing only that which I've been graced to do. God, in his mercy, has given me gifts to serve the body of Christ. 
not for my benefit, but for the benefit of the church. God has given you the gifts for the benefit of the church. To withhold those gifts is displeasing to the Lord. To say people don't appreciate is childlike and would need and is a focus on self. But to even go to the point of saying, you know what, sometimes I do want some appreciation. Well, this passage says, no, no. When the slave comes home, the, the master does not say, listen, take care of yourself. You've been out under the hot, scorching sun and you've been plowing all day and you've been harvesting. You know what? You know what? Just take a break. All he says, when he comes back home, wash up, change your clothes, prepare a meal. I'm going to eat. That's what he says. What's the Lord teaching with this parable? He is teaching that the servant does not deserve special treatment. Now you look at the apostles and the servants, the faithful servants of God, they were not given special treatment. None of them were. In fact, they suffered as they discharged their duties. And that's part of the walk of faith. That suffering cleanses us. It kills our pride. It humbles us. We need it. And so when you're serving and you're not receiving the accolades that you're looking for or the recognition that you seek, and you're not being appreciated and someone is not, hasn't sent you a card saying, wow, I just want to tell you how wonderful, you know, don't, don't be disappointed. Keep serving. You're not doing it for, for them. You're doing it for, it's their sake, but it's for Christ. Remember, you serve others, but no one is your master, but one. I serve the church, but Christ is my master. But I make myself accountable to the church, and I serve the church for the sake of the church so that the bride is being prepared to meet the bridegroom. And that's what we're doing. You do it with your gift. I do it with my gift. We are unworthy slaves. And the key to serving the Lord without expectation and disappointment or frustration is to remember this truth that we are unworthy slaves. We don't need the right conditions to serve. We don't need COVID-19 to disappear. We don't need everything to be perfect. We don't need the ducks to line up. Okay, now I can serve. None of that. We don't need trials to disappear from our lives. We don't need hardships to go away. We don't need to be financially secure. None of that. Whatever lot God has given you in his infinite wisdom, that is where you are to shine. Flourish where you've been planted to the glory of God. Let us serve one another with the gifts that God has given us for the glory of God. Now, for the reward, or just a brief word. I know there are some of you there that are thinking, you know, I have nothing to give. And um, I've met Christians like that, that literally believe they have nothing, nothing to give. Let this verse be an encouragement to you. In Matthew 10, 42, Jesus said, whoever gives one of these little ones just a cup of cold water to drink in the name of a disciple, Truly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. In other words, you take some insignificant disciple, insignificant Christian, anyone, and bless them. Yesterday, my mother-in-law shared how when 
she was pregnant with my wife, uh, carrying my wife in her womb. That didn't sound correctly. Anyways, um, she fell ill. She was in the hospital and someone was visiting her every day and sitting at her bedside. Who was this? A child of God. She came later to know that she was a Christian, much later. And she would come to that hospital room, sit by her bedside and just pray for her. That's all she would do, just pray. Something that's, and she sowed the seed of the gospel in my mother-in-law's heart. Years later, my mother-in-law came to saving faith. I don't even know if she ever told that woman that she came to saving faith because I think she passed away before my mother-in-law became a Christian. That act of kindness was used by God to bring my mother-in-law to Christ. She never forgets it. She told us yesterday and we were moved by the story. Every one of us has a story of acts of kindness from God's people that have ministered to us. Some of us have acts of, that, of hurt. We've been hurt by people. And because we are, uh, uh, you know, we're in flesh and bones, we feel those hurts. But God's grace can help us overcome those hurts so that we can focus on God's amazing grace towards us. Remember, people may hurt you, and most of them, when they do hurt you, do not mean to hurt you. But even if they mean to hurt you, okay, as you're serving, as you're bringing glory to God, even if someone does mean ill against you, remember Joseph's words to his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Bring glory to God. The Lord has his reward with him, and he will reward you. As it says in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Behold, Jesus says, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to reward each one as his work deserves. See, we're not saved by works. We are rewarded for our works. Don't let your reward diminish, shrink. Don't let it, don't lose your reward. Serve one another. A book is being written. God is paying attention. Don't let any excuse hinder you from serving God's people. No matter who they are, no matter how unlike you they are, no matter how little the recognition or appreciation, and no matter how much they frustrate you, serve for Christ's sake. Use your gift to the glory of God God is paying attention. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you for these wonderful verses that we read together. They minister to us. They encourage us. I thank you for the church, this wonderful body of believers that gathered together this morning via Zoom, and we were able just to sing to you and worship you and and just read your precious words and to, that brought so much encouragement to each one of us. There may be some who are um, discouraged, have um, are considering throwing in the towel with regards to service, with regards to going out of their way for others because they've been disappointed or because they have been criticized. Lord, 
Cause that person, cause that child of yours to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. Cause them to overcome all these uh, personal feelings of frustration. Let them see how great is your grace towards them. May we all see that we are unworthy slaves because you have gone and did the unthinkable for us by going to the cross, by making a way for us to be the bride of Christ, by seating us at your table, we who are vile, wretched sinners. Why would you do that? And now we're called to serve each other as we make our way heavenward to meet our heavenly bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Thank you again for this opportunity, for our time together. And uh, we bless you in the wonderful and precious name of our Lord. Amen.